Welcome back to Association Data Points, where we discuss associations, nonprofits, data, and the people behind the numbers. I'm Aaron Peters here with my co-host Brian Seabacher. How's it going, Aaron? It's good. How are you? Doing great. Wonderful. Joining us in the studio today is Joel Crandall, Vice President of Talent for the Minnesota Technology Association. Welcome, Joel. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Brian. Good to see you both. Yes. Thanks for stepping out of the uh, the warm record high temperatures we are having to to join us inside for a little bit. Yep, absolutely. The air conditioning is working, which is good. So uh, yeah, great to great to be in your space today. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Mintech. Yeah, um, Vice President of Talent at, at the Minnesota Technology Association. Mintech is a, almost 200 member companies, tech-enabled companies throughout the metro. Most of the, the large organizations and, and many of the small and medium companies that have technology employees, um, and they come to us for three things. They come to us for advocacy. Uh, we work at the state capitol and with state-run organizations to be able to try to promote good tech policy. Um, we also do community building and engagement, um, but they also come to us for talent development. And the way we talk about talent is we're trying to inspire, hire, develop, and retain great technologists in this ecosystem here in Minnesota. And I, I get to oversee those things. So um, we do conferences, we do training, we do professional development, but we also are trying to inspire great new technologists in this space. Yes, uh, Hargrove and Associates has been a member of Mintech now for uh, about five years. Yeah, it's great, and and we have such a, a mix of companies who are looking to provide services to those companies, companies who are um, producing net producing technology, and a lot of them who are just great tech users. So great, and you mentioned workforce, and that's been a really hot topic that we we've, we've seen in the news, we've heard on podcasts, read in articles. As a, as a former uh, public school teacher myself, I'm really drawn to this idea of helping students succeed, helping them find opportunities. And Brian and I were, were surprised to read that for the third year in a row, Minnesota is last in the country when it comes to uh, the number of course offerings that are available. Uh, uh, sorry. Minnesota is the last in the country when it comes to the number of course offerings in computer science uh, for students in public schools. Right. And, and it's baffling. Uh, most people, when they think about Minnesota, think about it as an educational leader, um, and it is in some ways. But this is an area that is is really kind of shocking. Um, so the study comes from code.org. Um, that's where this national research comes every year. And what they look at is... Uh, how many high schools, what percentage of high schools in your state offer any computer science class at all? It's not just AP computer science. It's not just um, upper end computer science classes. It's just even exposing students to the basics of computer hardware, software, and coding. Um, and in Minnesota right now, only 21% of high schools offer any courses at all. Um, which gets you last place. Um, and actually, we've rolled backwards over the last couple of years. We were at 24%. We've moved backwards. Um, and, and it's complicated. There are a lot of factors that go into it. Um, uh, but yes, Minnesota ranks last. And unfortunately, Minnesota doesn't even have a blueprint at this point to get out of last place. There is no plan for what we will do as a collective to be able to do that. And that's really where Mintech sees its role, being able to try to put that plan together. Yeah, we rank last, but meanwhile, we have a great concentration of Fortune 500 companies for the size of the market we have, and there's a lot of companies, and there's a lot of demand for this talent, so... 
And that's what motivates us um, as an association to, to lean into that because you're right. We do every year have 16 or 17 Fortune 500 companies that are headquartered here in the Twin Cities. Um, and what we're concerned about is that those companies will continue to grow. Technology at those companies will continue to grow. What will change with remote work and offshoring is their ability to just go somewhere else to be able to get that talent. And we're concerned that unless Minnesota does more collectively, that there's an opportunity for them to set up a tech hub in Nashville or mm-hmm. Austin or just 100% remote to be able to find that talent. And it's it's evident um, Minnesota has ranked uh, in 20, let's see, 2019, we ranked 12th nationally in terms of net tech employment in this market. And we've slipped to 18th um, in the last couple of years in terms of net tech employment here in the state. And the other thing is uh, tech growth. As we project out tech employment growth here in, in Minnesota, um, we rank 46th over the next 10 years in terms of tech employment growth here in the state. And, and MinTech wants to make a case that some of that has to do with availability of technologists. If technologists are not here for companies to be able to access, they will access that talent somewhere else. So net tech employment, uh, let's un- unpack that number a little bit. Sure. Is this, uh, how, do, how does that number get calculated? Yeah, it's, um, you can look at technologists a couple different ways. Some organizations look at tech companies and look at all employees that work at those companies. That's not the way we see it. The, the Minnesota market is really uh, a ton of different um, uh, a different companies. So I'll use a couple examples. So 3M is headquartered here. Um, we would not say that 3M is an information technology company, um, but they have tons of technologists that work there at the company. Um, uh, we have other large banks that have huge presence here. Those are not at their core um, advertised as technology company, but have tons of technologists that are driving it. So when we look at what are called uh, SOC codes or SOC codes, they have to do with a specific profile of employee at those companies. That allows us to be able to aggregate that data. And currently there's about 114,000 technologists based on those codes that work here in Minnesota. Um, and Based on our projections over the next couple of years, we're thinking that there will be, and this is not our information, this comes from places like CompTIA and other folks who study this market, they think that there will be about 6% growth um, uh, across the next five to 10 years, which is really not that many new technologists. That's only like six to 8,000 new technologists that would be in this space. And some people say, why are you so concerned about growing? Why do you feel like you'll need these new technologists if the rate of growth is so slow? The challenge is, Uh, replacement. So replacement is another economic term where people are looking at this job market and saying how many people will either retire, leave this geographic market, or will leave information technology as a career. Um, That number is staggering. Um, Over the next 10 years, we're guessing that we'll need to replace uh, about 82,000 of those technologists that are currently in the market. So if you add those two numbers together, you're looking at 88 to 90,000 technologists, which is almost needing to double what you currently have in the market just to be able to I, keep I don't pace. plan on retiring, okay. Joel, <laughs> and, and I don't think you'll be under any pressure, too, because I think that there will be such a need for technologists to be in this space. <laughs> the sweet sound of job security. Yes. <laughs> yes, and we can offer it to some other folks as well. 
So all of this information you're you're sharing sounds, you know, it'd be really valuable to your members to have this. Can you tell us a, about your strategy or kind of your methodology for gathering all this information, uh, getting it back out to the members? Yeah, I, I think that the story is really compelling. Being last place in computer science is really important mm -hmm. to tell people. That's a um, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> you can leave that one in the elevator. That that's easy. Yeah. Eyebrows raised. It turns out it's easier to be 50th than 49th. It just like sounds it sounds more concerning. So 50th 50th is a really bad place and not even close. Um, our our nearest competitor, Louisiana, um, is like 10 to 12 percent higher than we are currently. So we've got a ways to go even to get out of the basement. So having data like that, knowing tech. Uh, tech growth here in terms of employment is supposed to be slow. Those things are really good to say. It's really good to be able to pull on other people's data, but it's also really compelling to be able to package those hard numbers and be able to advertise them back out to our members. And it's this mix of both current information um, that updates on a regular basis and also these broader snapshots. So here's my shameless plug, but if you go to mintech.org, um, you can see our talent dashboard, which is public and available yes. um, to, to everybody to be able to see. And that's our goal with it is to be able to um, not just tell people the numbers are concerning, but show them that the numbers are concerning. And that's well. a great segue because that dashboard is, it's a great resource. And we were, you know, as, as Minnesota employers, I find this very interesting to see where the cross tabs and to look into the details. I, I've always thought as, you know, as a data storyteller, you really, that moment where the person looking at this just stops thinking about, oh, what, what is this thing? And then starts looking at the stories of like, did that really, what, tell me more about this. And that I, I think I would hope you're seeing some of those moments because that's, uh, you know, that that's really engaging stuff. So Tell us a little more about that process. How do we how did we put this together? And by the way, this will be in our show notes. You'll be able to click this. You know, we'll provide links to all the resources that you're discussing. But this dashboard is excellent. So tell us a little more. How, how did this get put together? Yeah, the the data is publicly gettable in most cases. So this is workforce data that's pulled from a couple of different places. So it's Department of Labor Statistics. It's um, uh, Chimura, it's uh, MC Burning Glass. So these are some like large data aggregators. Pulling the data obviously is no, no small task, but really being able to slice the data and then pivot pivot it back as like meaningful visuals is the difficult part. So we have a partner that we work to be able to do that, but are able to brand it really as as Mintech data because it's us choosing the data points that we're looking for and being able to advertise it back. Uh, I'll give a quick example. Again, this is this is publicly gettable data that somebody could get, but unless you're able to narrow it down and give it context, it's really difficult for somebody to be able to consume. But um, people were really surprised uh, post 2020 drop off in terms of tech employment, that tech employment stayed as strong as it did, even as uh, unemployment pushed up in some other areas. Um, and at like November, December of last year, as talks of recession go up, you're starting to see these larger layoffs at companies like Amazon, Meta, places like that. And so because we live in this news environment that we do, that stuff is really compelling to talk about large companies making big cuts. Um, and again, it's always posed as technologists are losing their jobs. And it's been great to have the data to be able to go back with our, men, our members and say, although those are really compelling Bay Area themes, 
what does the data here tell us? And, and what I would say is, it's a little bit more complicated of a story. So last year, um, it was not unusual to have 10,000, 12,000, 14,000 new job postings in technology on a monthly basis. So we were seeing super high levels of new postings. Um, and that number has certainly come down. Um, you can see this on our dashboard. I think last month um, we started to be a little bit more concerned because the number was down closer to 8,000, which was the smallest number that we've seen in about five years. Um, again, as an employer, I can look at that and say, this is a complicated data point because it's the lowest it's been in five years, but it's also still positive job growth. And so although I'm hearing about the Bay Area having this massive contraction, I should dig in and figure out Meta has actually doubled in size over the last three years. All and about the all these massive cuts that they have made only cut into about half of the growth they've reached over the last three years. Bay Area companies fought with each other to be able to just mass consume talent that they maybe didn't even know what to do with. And then as the threat of recession comes, there is this contraction in a market that's more stable, like the Twin Cities, we're just not seeing that same kind of approach. And so, but again, to get to a, a, a better number, like um, 8,000 and be able to say, okay, so the trend line has continued to go down. I was really interested for the, this is the nerdy side, but for the, the dashboard to update for March and to be able to see where that trend line goes. And lo and behold, it's bounced a little bit. It's back up into the 9,000 range. And so, um, who knows where it will go next? I'm not trying to predict the future, but I think it's really great for, for Twin Cities and Minnesota-based companies to be able to see where is our trend line right now. What sort of feedback have you been getting from members on this? I think people think it's really positive. I, I think um, as a membership-based organization, we have to find ways to provide compelling value. Um, and some organizations have been super dependent on in-person events, um, training certifications that they own. Um, and this is not a shot at either one of those. I think that that has a lot of value. I think some have been really indexed on advocacy and being able to change lawmakers' minds. It's certainly an approach. It certainly has value. But data and like curated data also has a ton of value. And for you to be able to get to what your members care about, we you know, spent several months of hearing nothing. This is again, like early 2022, nothing but talent. Every time we would go and meet with members about saying, where are we gonna find new technologists? And for us to be able to have this tool to be able to go back to is hugely valuable. And we're talking about compelling stories, and we were sort of talking about that before we, we started uh, recording today. One of the things that stuck out to me as a non-traditional hire in the tech space, I said before, I used to be a public school teacher, um, and I taught music, so I wasn't you know sort of in the, the right. technology sphere, um, was th there was something in there about college, uh, having to have this sort of track through college and college internships. And so starting to see a little bit more value placed on apprenticeship style learning and um, immersive learning. Can you talk a little bit more about those trends and if you're, you're seeing uh, companies or, or member companies take note of those? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think I'm glad you pulled that trend out as at the same time that companies are talking about how difficult it is to find new talent. They have also not adjusted their approach very quickly to be able to source talent in a different way, which is understandable. You need to not just change where you source talent from, but based on that, you need to create 
onboarding schemes and other things like that to make them successful. So mm -hmm. it's understandable that organizations would pivot slowly. But here in Minnesota last year, Mintech reported that 90% of postings for technology roles still required a four-year degree. Um, mm. which if you think about the range of technologists, when we look at our profile of who a technologist in Minnesota is, um, there's about 40,000 software engineers or people that are doing like data engineering on a regular basis. Um, that's a big proportion of that market. And some of those jobs absolutely could require a four-year degree, but there's tons of other job roles within this. This is um, hardware technicians. This is help desk. Uh, folks, this is project managers. These are other folks who are part of these teams. Um, and that 90% number was way out of line with other trends that you could see on the West Coast, on the East Coast, even in other larger cities. And so, um, so that has been sticky, in my opinion, stickier than it should have been. And having the data to be able to go back and show people is really compelling. So we brought together a group of companies last November to be able to talk at this tech workforce summit about being last in, in computer science, talking about this four-year degree requirement. And I think one of the things that came out of that was, what do we need to do as a group to be able to eliminate four-year degree requirements not for everybody, but for a couple of specific job roles. Um, and what can we do to be able to go after these high demand, but maybe upskillable roles to be able to bring folks in? Um, and we do see more non-traditional talent approaches that are springing up in terms of boot camps and apprenticeships and people being able to come from other ways. Um, but I think, again, going back to the data, being able to say 90% feels too high based off of what we're trying to do. Where are the edges that we could pull back? And not just as individual companies, but are there things that we could even do as an ecosystem to be able to say that doesn't seem like it fits for us? It just seems like you have to be realistic at some point. You, you can't be both starving and picky about where you're going to eat next, you know? And I, I think that's part of the equity question, too, which is um, there have been for a long time unwritten rules about getting corporate employment, period. And I think technology employment has been maybe um, more malleable in terms of being willing to find those approaches. But again, 90 percent four year degree requirement. And it's it's not just four year degree requirement. Often it's a technical internship during your your four year degree and going to the right school and having the right pedigree and, and those kinds of things. And I think companies for a long time were just used to being able to go to their local convenience store and pull talent off the shelf that looked exactly like that. And in this environment, it's not the case anymore. The positive side from an equity perspective is companies need to be able to talk more succinctly about what it is from a skills-based perspective they're actually trying to get. Um, and we do see that. We see companies going back and doing an evaluation, especially for technology roles, about what skills do we actually need to be able to get to be able to do this? And can we get it from somewhere else? Because buying talent from other companies is really expensive. Um, buying talent in this way that we've always done it before is going to be really difficult to keep up with. That's a really powerful example of you're, you're going to the data to elicit change in human behavior, which is one of the, the most complex things that you could ever do, especially on a larger scale. And I think you, uh, there are stories that happen to you that cause you to question or look at the data a different way. And so um, I worked before, I worked at Mintech. I worked for a, a larger high school and college 
internship organization that worked primarily with low-income students. So these were, we recruited high school juniors going to their senior year. We provided them with 120 hours of training. They did 1,000 hours worth of an internship during their senior year of high school. These were, these were students who were really invested in being able to, to figure out how they could get into professional employment. Um, as students would wrap up high school, they would say, what do I do, need to do next? The, the average technologist in Minnesota right now makes $94,000 a year. It's a lot of money compared to the average Minnesotan. Um, so students would see the opportunities that existed from like a challenge perspective, but also from an income perspective. They say, I'm interested in that. How do I go and get that? Mm-hmm. We would coach them to, to go and get a, um, an MIS degree or go and get a computer science degree or do things like that. And as we, I was there for 12 years. So you got to see students who were just getting ready to graduate from high school, go through college, and you saw the challenges along the way. Low-income students were really struggling to be able to graduate from college. It was easy to push them there. It was harder for them to be able to stay. And so the national average for students, uh, low-income, first-generation college students going to college and graduating within six years is somewhere between like 10 and 15%. Um, so again, it's this broad story. It was easy to tell them to go, but difficult for them to stay. This program I worked with, Genesis Works, our students were graduating at more of like a 50 or 60 percent, which is still really low, um, but it's much better than the national average. Even after students had done all these hard things, they had done a year-long high school internship, they had gotten training, they had worked in technology, they got technology degrees, we still saw them struggling to even get interviews at companies as they were finishing. And it just was indication that there were systemic challenges that were set up. And so what, what I appreciate about it is you have these hard stories, students who call you individually and say, I can't get somebody to even return my call. I can't get my resume across the finish line. I can't do these things. And it does point you back at the data and you say, at the same time, there are 9,000 openings right now. Um, What do we need to do to be able to correct for those imbalances? And it can bring to light too that you talked about that, you know, systemic, um, that systemic system that's existing already could bring to light for those people. They, we avoid change. Isn't that part of the human condition or experience? So they're so used to moving along until the data is put in front of them. They might not even know there's a problem. Right. And it's easier for them to be able to dismiss what I'm saying as an anecdote or a compelling story until I can follow it up with data. And um, again, from an equity perspective, uh, there are four groups of people who would need to double their participation in technology, even to be able to be at pace with the, the representative population in the state of Minnesota. So that's been a really easy one for us to be able to go back to. Some people would say, this is just talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it absolutely is, but it's also, we need every available worker in Minnesota who is interested in doing technology to be a part of this workforce. It's a change that needs to happen because we have not attracted or retained people um, in that situation. So just as an example, um, the American Indian population in Minnesota um, is 63% higher than their participation in technology. So it's a specific group that would need to almost double or more than double to be able to just like get to parity with their participation in the labor market Um, for uh, for women. They would need to increase 54% just to be at parity. And these are not simple questions. This is not just about 
preparing more technologists that look like this. It's asking some of the more difficult questions of why, when that talent is even trained and ready, do they not get hired at companies? Why, when they go to those companies, do they not choose to stay? Um, so I, I think you're right. It is, it is difficult to change, rightly difficult to change. But the combination of data and storytelling can help to be able to capture people's imagination, but then also sharpen their will to be able to say, we have to do something different. That's a great way to say that. So let's talk about the, uh, the data culture at MinTech. I know that, that this, is, this is one of the first things I've seen as a member that kind of reached me and like, oh, wow, this is really interesting and of the moment, I think. Talk about that process. Has this been an interesting thing to work on internally? I will give I will give a ton of credit to my boss, our CEO Jeff Tollefson, who really um, started this journey before I already before I ever started, and and a great coworker of mine, Katie McClellan, who has a um, a policy background more on a national level, who said having this data allows us to be able to react to our market, but also to tell compelling stories about where we hope our market will go. Um, and so I, I'll say I don't think that as a small organization, we had the skill set or the, the power to be able to do all that work ourselves. And so this is a great chance to be able to say it takes partnerships. So um, uh, the Department of Employment and Economic Development, or DEED, here in Minnesota, um, cares about this same data. They are a partner of ours in being able to say they're trying to solve a lot of the same problems and they own a lot of that data. The Department of Labor and Industry, they're a partner. They, they care about technology growing because of the wage, because of the low unemployment. They can be partners in us being able to do that. And for us, we needed to go to an industry partner too, who had a competency that was able to take all this complex data and to hear our story. And, and there's still like data behind this data that we want to get to. So again, I pointed out the about 8,000 job postings. Um, we do events with folks who are coming out of boot camps or skills training, and they were saying, "Yeah, we hear you that there's all these openings, but at the same time, we're not getting hired. What you know, what's going on?" And so a, a, a data question behind the data that we want to go back to is to look at the average amount of. Uh, experience required by jobs that were posted during that period. It's a it's a number underneath, and my hunch is that we're going to find of those 8,400 jobs, these are like all super skilled positions. And so, um, uh, to change the metaphor a little bit, it's one thing if all the multi-million dollar houses are still on the market, and it looks like there's new market, new job or new houses hitting the market. But if you're trying to buy a starter home, it doesn't impact you. Like you, you still need somebody to be able to put a starter home on the market for you to care. So it's a good example of like, it's still a skill set that we're building as we go, as we identify more interesting questions to be able to ask. We'd love to be able to split our data that way. That sounds great. You, you know, really, you know, the next question is always the most interesting one, I think. That's right. That's right. Where is this leading and where can you go from here? So, right. Uh, guess, uh, speaking of where you can go from here, is there uh, any other resources you would like to share with us? Yeah, you know, again, um, on the computer science side, uh, code.org has done a lot of research about 
where the state of Minnesota sits right now. They give us a report card on an annual basis. They do a great job of being able to pull that data together. And I think that it's it's a, a really good one. Obviously, I'll, I'll plug again our website, um, Mintech, which is M-N-T-E-C-H dot org, is a really good place to be able to go. The final place that I recommend people look at if they're looking for these kinds of trends, if you are a technology organization uh, in the country, you're outside of Minnesota and you can't access our great dashboard, um, CompTIA uh, does a ton of national research every year based off of different markets to be able to look at um, projected rate of growth, um, which, uh, which markets are shrinking or advancing, what types of roles or careers within those companies seem like they're, um, they're changing the most quickly. So there's a, a couple places that I keep tabs on. Wonderful. And all of those resources will be linked in our show notes. Make sure to check those out. Well, Joel, I think, uh, I think that's a show. Well, thanks for coming down. It's been a rare treat to have someone in the studio with us. Well, and it's a great studio. So, Brian, Aaron, thank you. I, I, I just appreciate um, the way that you're shining a light on what I feel like is a very important issue. Actually, two issues. One is this, uh, this technology misalignment and needing to find new technologists, but also just the importance of being able to use data to be able to tell great stories. Wonderful. Couldn't say it better myself. Thanks so much, Joel. Thank you. Association Data Points is brought to you by Hargrove and Associates. Since 1985, we've helped associations serve their most critical member data needs by collecting, producing, and delivering exclusive market information. You can visit us online at hargrovedata.com.